And we realize the things that God wanted to teach us and show us and to apply that in our life. I've had people come up to me after I shared that message and Karen and I talked. And they come up to me and they said, well, we want our, our marriage to be like yours and Carolyn. We wish it, our marriage could be easy like yours. It's not easy. It's still not easy. You understand what I'm saying? We went through times of stress and trial and pressure and wondering why we weren't getting what we're supposed to get according, according to God's word. It wasn't until Carolyn and I are in our 20th year of marriage till we finally realized not only what God's word said, but we started applying it to our marriage. That's when we experienced the blessings of God. That's when we started experiencing the fruitfulness and the joy of what it means to be married. We went through a lot of discipline. We went through a lot of stress. We went through some narrow roads in our marriage. But we persevered and came through those. And then we saw God's word and we applied it to our lives. Friends, there is a blessing, there is a benefit in what we would call redemptive pain. And sometimes redemptive pain is good. He said, consider it joy. What? Joy, my sisters and brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is the benefit when God allows this pain? What's the benefit when God allows this testing in our life? What's the redemptive purpose about that? That's what I also want to look at. Now, one thing we must understand is that believing the Word, the Word of God, it's not the same as working the Word. All right? Fruitfulness comes from working the Word. Without work, there is nothing. That's the whole essence of the book of James. And so that's what we're going to look at. And so let's pay attention to that just a few moments today. 24 years ago, I, along with my wife, Karen, were walking through Sears at the Gadsden Mall in Gadsden. I've heard God's voice audibly twice in my life. This is one of the times I heard God's voice say, run. I looked at Karen and I said, what did you say? She said, I didn't say anything. We kept on walking a little bit further and again, run. We were walking by the shoe department. I looked at Karen and said, did you hear that? And she says, what are you talking about? I said, I just heard a voice. I think God say, run. Now, folks, at that point in time, and I know it's hard to believe by looking at me now, but I was starting to look like a typical United Methodist preacher. Too many buffets, too many fellowship dinners. I had no energy. I was getting a good-sized little belly on me. I wasn't healthy at all. God said, run. I knew the word of God. I knew God's word told me to take care of my, my body because the temple of the Holy Spirit, but I wasn't willing to do what it took to, to apply that. And then God out of the blue says, run. So God knew we had a Sears charge card and asked Karen if we could use it. And she said, yes, you can go buy those shoes if, you're, if you will use those running shoes. Now, I hadn't done a lick of exercise since high school. Next morning, I got up and ran around the block. I got home, and I was coughing. I was wheezing. I thought I was going to die. The next day, God says, run two times around the block. And I did. And that was 24 years ago. I had been reading God's Word. I had been hearing God's Word. But I hadn't been working God's Word. So 24 years ago, I created a lifestyle change. And I really didn't know how you could feel so good. I didn't know that you could have so much energy 
until I started doing that. And I realize now at the age of 55, I have more energy and strength now than I did when I was 24 years ago. So what happened in my life is I created a lifestyle change in the area of eating and exercise. I applied God's Word. I worked it. And I still work it today. Now, since that day 24 years ago, I've done a regimen of exercise every day. Every day I do that. I can't jog on the streets anymore because the doctor says if you continue to jog on the street, I'm going to have to replace that left hip of yours. So I jog on a treadmill now. That'll get your attention real quick. Okay, I jog on a treadmill every day. I ride a stationary bike every day. I, I do over 500 ex abdominal exercises every morning. I, I do moderate weight training every day. And after my workout, I get up two hours before I have to be anywhere. I feel much better. And the old saying, there's no gain without what? Without pain is so true. And so, friends, there's no gain without pain. It's biblical. Strength is formed in the fire. So every January, when we get to the new year, I'll hear people talking around the church in different places saying, I'm going to start doing this, I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to start exercising and all of that. Well, you know what? They don't put their want to to work. They may start out, but then a couple of weeks, months later, it's too hard, it's too stressful, it's taking too much time, it's taking too much energy, too much discipline. They drop out. But you know what? we got a group of girls here in the church who who've, maybe not have heard God's word speak to them, but they decide they're going to do something about their life and their health. And don't you look at a couple of pictures of these girls. Okay? They started jogging. And here they are running in a race, a 5K. Okay? They're running in the rain. I mean, look, they got enough energy they can walk by and wave at you. Okay? They all finished. They're all exercising and jogging now. April the 25th, we're all going to be running. And I invite you into the clear 5K here in Calera. And I'm proud of these girls. They put together a group, and there's a whole bunch of them now who meet during the week up here at, at Oliver Park, and they, they, they run and they walk during, during the week. And they're doing this. They're doing this for themselves. They're doing this for their families. They're doing this because they're applying God's Word to their life, dear friends. So here's the key. The want to doesn't do any good without the work. And so that's a biblical principle. God blesses people. He will bless people who work the Word. Carolyn and, and my and our, our marriage, it wasn't until we made that commitment to work God's word in our marriage, in our 20th year of marriage, and to work it every day in our life that we finally begin to experience the fullness and the blessings of what we always professed and what we always believed. We finally started seeing it because we started working God's word. Now, when I started this exercise thing, it wasn't for only a short period of time, it was for a life, a lifetime. In year 20, when Carol and I made that commitment, not just, not just to stay married, but to work the word in our marriage, that's when we saw God's word in action. So what it says in James 1.22, James 1 and 22, he says, I want to see how God has blessed his people who are working the word but who just don't believe the word. You've got to work the word. Do not, this is what it says in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, some of you may be sitting here this morning saying, well, now Terry, I've been faithful. 
I've been a good person. I come every week. I go to Bible study. I keep the nursery. I teach Sunday school. I read God's word every day. I pray every day. Well, why isn't anything happening in my life? Well, folks, that's deception. If you think believing the word is enough, the devil believes the word. The devil even believes in Jesus. But he doesn't work the word. In Luke, I mean in James chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action or work, it is dead. In other words, it's still born. You've got to work what you believe. James says this, show me your faith without deeds. Show me your faith without work, and I'll show you you don't have faith. There must be work. There must be action to follow the faith. Now, what we're doing is we're trying to talk about this whole idea of, of redemptive pain. Now, this is not parental advice here right now. Uh, I didn't do this with my children. But I share something with you. Three days before I graduated from high school, something miraculous had to happen. I had an elf in one of my classes. Now, it was back in the old days. You didn't have to pass all the exams and all of that. I mean, you just, if you did your school work and got a passing grade, it'd let you out of high school. I had an elf in a class. Three days before I graduated, the teacher had mercy, felt sorry for me, wanted to get me out of the hallways, whatever it was. Changed an F to a D where I could graduate from high school. So I got out of high school by the skin of my teeth like Job. And then I went to college. Went to junior college for a while, took 90 hours past 33. A lot of application. Finally, had a call of God in my life, entered University of Alabama, graduated Alabama cum laude, and graduated seminary with, with honors. First one of my family to graduate from college. The whole time when Karen and I entered the ministry, I was a student pastor at Passinger Church. Started a seminary. Living in Atlanta, Tuesday through Friday, pastor to church on the weekends. While we only had one child, Leslie, we, we traveled back and forth. Classes started on Tuesday morning, so we'd leave about 2 o'clock Tuesday morning and drive over for me to be in my 8 o'clock class in Atlanta. Carolyn and, and Leslie would be there. We had an apartment. Then when we had Stephanie, it became a little bit more challenging. So Carolyn stayed home in, in Altoona while I drove back and forth with some guys, and we stayed in a boarding house for the rest of our semester the rest of our seminary experience. All this time, pastoring a church, being a father, taking seminary, graduate work, and all of that. I can remember the pressure. I can remember having to have papers done, having to do this, be the pastor, having to be a father, having to be a husband, and all of that. And I wondered, how in the world am I going to make it? But all through that time, I worked hard at it. I stayed at it. I persevered. You see how redemptive pain can bring forth God's word and will in your life. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience trials. Trials, testings, build perseverance. As a result of staying with it, instead of dropping out, instead of giving up, instead of quitting, instead of it's too hard, God, I can now stand before you and have the honor to preach to you God's word as an ordained elder in United Methodist Church. I can go around the conference and teach on the Palestinian and Israeli conflict. God's opened up that door. I can be a natural church development coach and help other churches be what God wants them to be. It's because of those trials. It's because of that testing. It's because of that that we persevered. 
that God has brought us to where we are now. It's because of that that our marriage is what God wants it to be. So you see how God can take these trials and testings in your life. And if you persevere and put his word into action, God can bring redemption in your life and other people's lives. But we want to give up so soon and so easy today. We want the Christian faith to be so easy. It's not. We have to put feet to our faith. Look what it says in verse 4. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature. Ooh, that's a good word. You may mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Friends, if we're willing to go through the testings and the trial and to persevere through them, that's when you mature in your faith. That's when you grow as God wants you to be. It's when you apply that to your life. So, I look at those times in the past, even as times today, and some recent things that I've had to go through. I look at those times and those trials in my life as a great gift. A great gift from God. Why? It's brought me to maturity. It's brought me to completeness in my life. God's prepared me to run the race. God's prepared me for the purpose in which he's created me for. And you see, I believe God intentionally designs those desert days those desert seasons in our lives to produce perseverance. That's what the Lenten season is all about. We're in the Lenten season, the 40 days preceding Easter. It also corresponds with the 40 days that, that, that God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And you look at that passage of Scripture where Jesus was tempted by Satan. The word tempted is the same word we get the word trial from. It's to be put to proof. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, tested, to be put to proof by the devil. And folks, isn't it amazing that it was God, it was the Spirit who leads us into these tests, huh? that leads us into these trials? So the purpose is to be put to proof so that you and I would need to know what we know and put into action what God has given us and what God has called us to do so that you and I can be redemption and example and help bring redemption to other people. If Jesus had not gone through what he went through, you and I will not have we, what we have today. You understand what I'm saying? That's the whole purpose of this, the desert. So many times we want to avoid the desert, but the desert can be an important place for us. It's a hard place for us, but it's a place where we have to trust God and not depend upon ourselves. You know, I know it is in my life when, when things are going okay, you know, you get comfortable. You kind of get stuck in a rut. You kind of become self-reliant. And you know, I know you're there, God, and you know, I'll call on you if I need you. But what's so interesting is during this season of Lent, what it does, it corresponds with Jesus' 40 days as he was tested and tried in the wilderness. It corresponds with the, the 40 years that the Jews wandered in the wilderness, going from slavery to the place of promise. And isn't it interesting for us to get to this place? The place from slavery, you have to go through the desert. Isn't it interesting, before we can get to Easter Sunday, the resurrection, we must go through the crucifixion. We must go to the cross. 
Friends, that's awesome. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 says this. Jesus quoted this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. Get this, to teach you that people do not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So when Jesus was in the wilderness, he quoted this, humility. Anybody here want humility? Anybody here need humility? One thing I like about being 55 compared to 31, there's one thing I can think about. You rely on more of God at 55 than you do when you're 31. At least in my case. And one of the things that, that God deals with, He deals with us in our trials. He deals with us in our heart. And I know what happens and what's accomplished today is not on my own skill, not on my understanding, not on any of the things that I may claim. It's all of what God has given me and allowed me to be a part of and to use. Heart issues. I'm not talking about cardiac issues. I'm talking about heart issues. Issues of the heart. Sometimes I think when things are going too good, we get this dual focus. And what happens with this dual focus is we forget. We forget that we have to rely upon God. We forget about what our motives are. And after a while, instead of God's mission, instead of kingdom building, we become more self-focused on, well, I need more bread. Give me more of this, God. Give me more of this, God. It's about me instead of God. You remember when Satan said, Hey, Jesus, look at all the stuff out here. Look at all the kingdoms. Look at all the riches of the world. I can give this to you if you'll just circumvent this perseverance of having to go to the cross, of this testing and trial that you're going to go through. I can give this to you. All this can be yours. Jesus says, no, I will not focus on that. I'm going to focus on the work that God has given me to do. We forget, friends, we're not here to collect stuff. We're not here to accumulate things. We're here to worship God and serve Him alone. So I am thankful for the desert seasons of my life. Because I have learned in the desert seasons in my life, it rids me of the duplicity. It clarifies my focus. And it's interesting that Jesus, before He fulfilled the mission that God gave Him, He was put to proof. He was put to proof to show that He could do it. And He passed the test. Some of you wonder why you've gone through desert seasons. The desert's not a good place to be. The desert is a place where there's either life or death. The desert is a place where you have to rely upon God. Some of you have been through desert seasons. Some of you are going through desert seasons right now. We'll go through desert seasons in the future. That's where you rely upon God in Him alone. That's where you're tested and tried and put to proof of God's Word.
It's about the heart. It's about the desert. Why does God allow those desert times? That's where you learn your identity. That's where you learn who you rely upon. It's experiencing those things in your life. The early church went through some desert times. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. During this time when James was writing this letter, the church of Jerusalem was going through great persecution. The Christians were being persecuted. Many of them were being scattered except for a couple of apostles that stayed around. They went to all the four corners of the world that day and time. And because of persecution, because of the trials, because of the tests that the early church was going through, you and I have the gospel today. Because that's where the missions went out. You see, God can use the desert times of trials and the pressure to spread the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. In fact, it says in our chapter, in verse 4, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Wow. So it's in the hard times that God's word grew the most. Now, remember God speaking to me 24 years ago in Sears? What did I do? I could have ignored it. I could have continued on the path and said, this is what I want to do, God. I don't care what you're saying. I know your word says this, but I'm going to do this. This is the way I want to go. I had a life-changing experience that's impacted my life. I realized why I went through what I went through to be where I am now. God loves you. And God has a plan for your life. And every time we go through this seemingly nonsense kind of stuff, we need to look how God wants to use it. How to use it for the redemptive way. Not only in your life, but get this, in somebody else's life. It's true. We can get to a place in our life, even our spiritual life, where we become so comfortable, we get stuck in it. And we sit down. We start cocooning. We get in complacency. We become indifferent. It's one of the reasons I keep going on mission trips. It's one of the reasons I'll continue to go back to Israel and Palestine. It's one of the reasons I'll go back to Ecuador every summer. It's one reason I'll work with the children and the youth. I need to be reminded. Because I can get in complacency. I can get comfortable just like you. It shakes you out of your complacency. It shakes you out of being comfortable. There's one thing you know by now, if you've been right here long enough, we do not and won't allow comfortable to be a part of this church. Complacency has no place here. God is calling us to move out beyond ourselves. We are servants of God. We are servants of the Most High God. And Jesus Christ said, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give it to you abundantly. Friends, life is too short to miss God's abundance. Life is too short to try to circumvent what God wants to do. And I'm convinced that too many of us are satisfied with just getting our foot inside the door through saving grace. And that's where we want to stop. 
If that's the case, it's like you getting into kindergarten and saying, I'm going to stay in the kindergarten the rest of my life. I'm going to continue to be an infant, continue to act like a child. You know what? I wouldn't be happy in kindergarten anymore. For one reason, I wouldn't fit in those little old desks. God has more for us than just what kindergarten offers. That's why I'm so grateful and thankful for those of you who come and join this church. You do the clear one-on-one. You discover what it means to be a part of this congregation. I'm really excited about those of you who do the 201 to discover what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and the disciplines of disciple. And I'm so excited about those of you who will do the 301. You'll discover your gifts and passions that God's given them where you can apply them in the life of God's kingdom. That's where you find your fit. That's what God's called us to do and God called us to be. But I think the problem is, is too many of us are trying to fit into a faith that no longer fits what God wants us to be doing. We want to lower our levels of faith. God wants to expand it. God wants to enlarge it. And here's the key. It's not enough just to profess the word. It's not enough just to believe the word. We must work the word. And in doing that, it's a lifelong commitment in the same direction. Becky, Dee, come on up. I believe God has put some dreams into hearts that are here today. I believe God has given visions into some hearts and lives today. To not downsize your dream, but again, though, to work the promises to bring that dream to fruition that God has placed in your heart. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating the miracle of the supernatural power of the resurrected Jesus. But until then, we're still in the time of Lent. It's a time of trial, of testing, of proof. Where are we? Where are we in this time? And where does God want us to be? Faithfully work the Word of God. Work it in your marriage. Work it in your home. Work it among the strangers in your life. Work it in the place in the, where God's put you. Work it in the mission. Work it in your finances. Work it in all areas. Then watch God grow it. Watch what God will do. So, I count it all joy when I fall and experience trials, pressures, temptations. Because when you persevere through that, you learn how to apply God's word and you work it. And through that, redemption. Redemption for not only you and me, but for redemption for the rest of this world. Will you bow your head for a moment and let us pray. God, I pray through the supernatural power of the resurrected Jesus that you would come now and water and fertilize your word. The word, God, that's in the hearts and the lives of your followers. And that you're faithful, God. You're faithful if we will work your word. Let us watch that today, God. And what what you want to do. Lord, I pray you'll give me the perseverance I need to do your will. The perseverance that I need to do your will, God, so that I can receive the fulfillment of your promises. 
I pray you'll enable me, God, to run with perseverance the race that is marked out before me. God, when weariness threatens us, when it threatens to overwhelm us, strengthen us, refresh us according to your word. Lord, I refuse to give up. Lord, I will continue to seek to serve you faithfully. And I pray that every person here today, Lord, will realize that we can reap the harvest of blessings and that others, God, can receive the light of your life, the redemption that is perfected in each of us. So, Lord, call us now of our complacency, of out of our indifference. Call us into the marvelous truth of your word, Lord, to put your word, to put our faith into action, and to work it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.